Hello. Hello. This is the universe speaking. How may I help you? Welcome to the art of listening. I'm your host, Yannick Rohr. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by theperfecthedshot.com and produced by James Gibson at DaoSound, T-A-O-Sound.org. I am sitting here with none other than Mr. Daniel David Dennis. David Daniel Dennis? Oh, jeez. Fucked it up. That's cool, man. My parents, it's, it confuses the courts. <laughs> well, we're, we're sitting here. We, we connected after Blues on the Green. You were sitting in a full Lotus, playing guitar, playing some far-out music that I immediately was like, whoa, hold on, who is this guy? And I took some pictures of you, and we connected, and I came out to your spot, and you played a little private concert for me that I video recorded. And now you came over and did a couple headshots, and we're doing a little podcast now, so I'm really actually... Pretty happy to have you here, man. This is really good. Thank you, man. Um, so I guess the way that we're going to do this one is kind of unusual. We'll have you play like a small little song or so, whatever you feel like, and um, it's set up to, to record it on your guitar and with the mic, and then afterwards we can kind of just chill out and talk for a little bit, and then got to get out of here shortly. It's only going to be about 30, 45 minutes, but, uh, you know, really, really appreciate you coming and whatever you want to do, take it away. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, brother. Yeah. So um, I would, I, I'll save my tripping material for, for another occasion, though. I'm going to pay tribute to uh, this Jerry Garcia acoustic or a Grateful Dead song. It's called Jackaroo. There was a wealthy merchant in London, he did well. He had a beautiful daughter, and the truth to you I'll tell. The truth to you, I'll tell. She had sweethearts aplenty, men of high degree, but none but Jack the Sailor, her true love ever be. Oh, true love ever be. She went down to a tailor shop dressed in man's right. She climbed aboard a vessel and conveyed herself away. Oh, conveyed herself away. Well, Jackie's gone a sailing with trouble on his mind. He's left his native country and his darling girl behind. Oh, his darling girl behind. Before you get on board, sir, a name we'd like to know She smiled at her countenance, they call me jack a Oh, they call me jack a I see your waist is slender, your fingers, they are small Your cheeks too red and rosy to face the cannonball Face the cannonball. I know my way's too slender, my fingers they are small, but it would not make me tremble 
to see ten thousand fall. Oh, to see ten thousand fall. Soon being over, she went and looked around. Among the dead and wounded, her darling boy she found. Oh, darling boy she found. She picked him up in her arms, carried him to town. She sent for a physician to quickly heal his wounds. Oh, quickly heal his wounds. This couple they got married so well they did agree. This couple they got married, so why not you and me? Oh, why not you and me? Bravo. Thanks, brother. Bravo! That was I. I really enjoy listening to you play, man. Appreciate that. So, uh, how long have you been doing music stuff? Um, probably many lifetimes. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, my my pops had guitars around the house growing up, and I had no idea that they were Gibson Flying V's, like very rare guitars. I just played around on them, probably put scuff marks on them, and you know, we had pots and pans in the kitchen, and. He had a drum set, so I remember being a kid and hearing the barn. He'd be out there with his friends, and I could just hear the thump of bass. And it was a mystifying thing and also a terrifying thing. It was simultaneous. Like, I just remember those sounds and drums, and, you know, when you're a kiddo, you just know that something's going on out in the barn, and it's pissing Mom off. But, you know, I records and things of that sort, too. I remember looking through his record collection, and and I started playing... Well, he taught me the Peter Gunn theme song for Blues Brothers. That's basically the... So he taught me that when I was, I don't know, probably six or seven. And I would just play that. I'd set the guitar at a little... I mean, a little tiny Yamaha acoustic guitar, and I'd play with my thumb and my hand almost like a dobro guitar or a lap steel guitar, and... I would just play that over and over and, and alternate it between two strings. And I didn't really know what I was doing, but I didn't necessarily have to have the guitar in tune to play that. So that simple piece of music, I realized in hindsight, it, it, it taught me a lot because it was basically just, might have been super simple, though it, it gave me an idea and an understanding of music even at that age. And But I couldn't figure out the, you know, I had no one to show me. Pops wasn't around a lot. So I didn't know how to tune a guitar. I didn't know how to... I would plug these guitars in, and once again, it was like a Gibson Flying V, and I'd plug it into my room, and I'd mess around on it, but I knew something was off. I didn't know anything about how to tune a guitar, tuning pegs, or anything about it, but I could play that one little theme song, and then I would just envision myself playing guitar, and eventually, at 13, 13 or 14, I asked for an acoustic guitar for Christmas, and went and picked one out at a shop in, in town, and figured out about how to tune a guitar. Like, around that time, I probably got the internet or something and figured out how to tune a guitar, figured out what chords were, and immediately gravitated towards... I knew that learning lead guitar, which is what I wanted to play, was far too complex at the time, but if I learned 
chords, simple chords, I could sing and play, and I started to sing and play. And I also had a friend growing up who lived down the street from me, and he was a homeschool kid, so he would just sit there and guitar wizard all day. They wanted him to be on Most Talented Kid or something of that sort. And this kid's like nine years old playing uh, Black Sabbath songs and things of that sort. Wow. So he would show me something. I'd go over and stay the night at his house, and he would, he would teach me guitar because he'd just sit around the house, and all he did all day was play guitar. <laughs> oh, wow. Anyway. So where are you from? Where, where, did, where did you grow up? I think Arcturus. What is constellation the... that precedes the planet. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, but um, in Texas, right? In Texas, uh, there's a town called Tyler. Probably has a hundred and Tyler, Texas? Thousand. That's like the nearest town. And then I'm actually, in between Tyler and Jacksonville, there's a town called Bullard. And then even smaller than that, it probably has a population of 14,000 or something of that sort. Smaller than that is Teaselville, which is basically a four-way stop, like crossroads kind of place and then even further from that it's basically i live out in the sticks in east texas i went to college in tyler texas for a year Far uh, out. Uh, and so yeah i know that area it's actually really a beautiful area if if you've ever traveled out there it's um pine trees a lot of people it's like a cross between what arkansas has to offer with some pine trees and it's still got kind of a texas rolling fields it's really beautiful out there a very rigid way of thinking, though. Yeah. Um, you know, I was raised in Baptist church sort of setting, and I remember, well, I got in trouble from the day I was born. So, <laughs> and basically, they, yep, they yep. made me go to school, and I would just bawl my eyes out because it basically was, you know, I didn't understand going to this place, and they basically just beat the hell out of me because I'd finish my work before all the kids until probably middle school. I made hundreds on every paper. And I'd finish all my work, and then I'd start communicating. I'd start being a kid, and they would just beat the hell out of me because they still were a closed-minded place, and they corporal punishment and all that. So I literally just every day, I, I got used to punishment. My dad whooped me pretty good too, but basically, um, so I, I could already withstand a lot of pain at a young age, and it seems to be one of the, the themes of my life. But basically, um, you know, I would, I started to spite it once I realized they were going to beat the hell out of me anyway. For no, what I considered no reason, and even my family would agree with it. You know, my mom raised hell towards him several times, but you know, I started to, um, I started to enjoy rebelling. I guess you know, when you realize you're gonna, you're gonna get the punishment regardless. You learn to smile. You know. Yeah, yeah. There's this kind of twisted pleasure that comes out of it, like because you oh, know yeah, it's, it's just sure. wrong, and it's like in a way what you're doing is almost standing for the freedom of like, yeah, sure, do it, but it doesn't, it doesn't have any effect on me. Right, yeah, I would just smile my way through it, and, and even at a young age, I could, I could go to bat with the with the principals and stuff. They try to trim my words <laughs> up, or and they they always say I was going to be a lawyer every teacher because I would basically just I could I could argue back with these so called adults. Right, and then on a on a, a, a more laxed uh, term of it was at church and things of that sort. I would they they'd put me in a separate class away from everyone because not only I guess I would disrupt, but I would also. I was very. I would ask questions that they basically. I'd ask my family questions, and then they'd say, "Well, ask you know the preacher or the teacher or whoever." And no one could really answer me these questions. And as this stuff trailed on, I started to think, "Well, I'm you know I'm just crazy." I remember praying when I was a kid, like, "God, make me not question thing," or you know, because I they tell you, you go to hell. Interesting. You know? And then one day it clicked that I was like, "Well, it was kind of terrifying," but I had to take that safety net and that filter away and realize, like, you know. God might condemn me, but this shit ain't working. And how old old were you when you started? When I you was realized probably that? eleven. That's pretty young. Something of that sort. And I um, 
I tried to separate myself at that time from going to church and things of that sort. Because, you know, other than some songs that they would sing, very rare, but one or two songs that you could, you could feel that, that kind of higher presence. Right, right. But right. other than that, it just seemed... I could see through the bullshit very yep. early on. Yep. And I could see that there was a falseness in what was everything around me. And so for the longest time, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm crazy. Like, that's what it is. <laughs> like, I'm, I must be one of those crazy but people. But really, everyone around you is crazy. <laughs> well, that's when I figured out. Once I, you know, I think one of the first things that really clicked into place, I started, I dial up internet out in the sticks. <laughs> so I would just research anything I could because I, I had this scratch of truth. And mm-hmm. I, would, I would feel it in certain, you know, little things. Like, one of my friends showed me Bob Dylan. And I heard the times they are a change in our yeah. masters of war. And I was like, holy shit, this guy is singing about this, this certain f- vibe. That mm-hmm. I, and I started searching for that vibe. And I found it in things, too. Um, you know, I started smoking pot around 12 as well. So I sat in my friend's room, and he had Pink Floyd records. So oh, once, I, once that stuff clicked, I was like, holy shit, there's <laughs> yeah, a lot a, more. Uh, These guys are definitely into it. Uh, yep. And, um, you know, our holy grail was to find LSD or something of that sort. That didn't happen until... F- 14 or 15, but um, I did mushrooms when I was 14 as well and had a very crazy experience. I basically, everything's going good, it's lightly raining, and then I, some dogs started kind of chasing me around my friend's house. It was my friend's house that um, we're kind of, he lived with his mother and we could get away with shit over there. And So uh, we're on these mushrooms and and I take off running from these dogs that kind of spook me. And I went to jump over this fence, and it had the, the chain link fence that wasn't bent over at the top. So it punctured through my hand, and it kind of mangled me up. I fell oh, over the fence geez, in the mud. That's... And so it, it hit some kind of vein. I still have a scar on my hand, but I started pouring blood. And you can imagine 14 years old pouring blood on a, on good lab shrooms and just going, oh, all the questions of God, am I dead, all, that, all this stuff. I was spoon-fed a whopping spoonful of truth. And um, so that kind of jettisoned things in a certain direction as well. Um, where was I going with that? Something about um That's that's pretty serious stuff, man. I mean, it's already tough enough to hold yourself together sometimes, but once you get put in maybe potentially life threatening situation while you're on some psychedelic. Well, I think it you know, everything happens for a reason and I think that it, it it higher consciousness, God, whatever you want to call it, it only gives you what you can handle. And that stuff like jarred me awake. It's, it's such a you know, it basically um it was what I needed at the time, believe it or not. And uh, shortly after that, I get to reroute, to, before I forget, I always want to pay tribute to this fella, but um, searching for that truth, you know, it's the Bob Dylan stuff, I heard it in music, but then around that same age, a little bit after the mushroom experience, right around the time I got into LSD, I, which I happened to get the real stuff too, but um, I heard Bill Hicks, you know, I, it was when Netflix, you could only get like the two movies at a time sort of thing, mm. and I was so depressed out there, because once again, I'm in this, this cut-offness, and I think that People that hold the light or hold the torch, they're put in places for a reason. And I think I was in this tough sort of dulled consciousness sort of realm because I obviously could handle it. And it was obviously for a purpose, and it shaped me up in a lot of ways. But basically, um, I rented a one of his stand-up performances, and I heard the quote. Uh, you know, he, you never hear a positive LSD story on the news. It's always the same story. Um, ducks lined up to catch an elephant, whatever the, the thing was. But then he says, um, you know, you never hear, tonight a young man on acid realized that all matter is simply energy condensed to a slow vibration, that we are all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. There is no such thing as death. Life is only a dream, and you're the imagination of yourself. Here's Tom with the weather. And when I heard that shit, I'm like... Yes, what I'd been experiencing, I didn't know it could be put into words. And once I heard that, it clicked that it could be put into words. And right around that time, I had an epiphany. I was on LSD in my room when I was watching this. 
And I realized that I, I got on the phone with my friend and I was like, oh, shit, I should be speaking about this stuff. I should be in college campuses. I was like, you know, I'm 15 years old and having these – I never heard adults speak about this stuff. And I'm 15 years old grasping mm-hmm. this stuff. So I'm like, I should be talking about this stuff everywhere. And as I'm talking to my friend, I was like, man, as much as I'm you, you're me and all this stuff. Having all these connections. I mean it was kind of funny now. but um, And then it clicked like, oh, God, wait. I'm on the phone. Like This stuff's being recorded. Um, I started thinking about like Bob Marley died of cancer, and I had this this realization that people could be injected with cancer. Um, you know, John Lennon shot all these people killed first, right. and I realized, right. oh God, it's not just my t- like on this planet. There's a con- kind of control mechanized people. People want people to be slaves. It, slavery didn't end with slavery; it just extended to colors. And basically, it's like, hey, show up to this job, and we'll give you just enough to barely live. But it's basically. You know, it's just that the haze has been kind of pulled over people's eyes, kind of like the Matrix or something, and people don't even realize that they're they're co-creating this reality that, that people don't prefer, and it's basically um, a form of an enslavement mentally, physically, yada, yada, yada. And um, so I had this awareness, and I'm like, oh, my God. And then I started, you know, the trip kind of turned there. I, I, I thought the house was being surrounded. I was going to be killed, and yada, yada. I realized TV was sending kind of a doling down frequency. I realized I'd been watching TV for a lot of time at the time, and I realized, oh, God, like having this on in the room kind of jars, and it's like Bill X says, it's black spray paint to your third eye. I realized this droning thing, my family's watching it. I just, I, I saw through the illusion even a broadened sort of sense. I'm like, oh, God, and then, but this uh, this little voice within me was like, no, don't worry, blah, blah, blah. I still had some LSD at the time. I'd hidden it in my parents' freezer, uh, probably in like a Stouffer's box or something. And uh, and something told me, you need to go and take all the LSD and extraterrestrials will pick you up. And uh, so I basically, I grabbed it out of the freezer and I'm running down the road with this LSD in my hand in foil. And um, I, di- I didn't take the LSD, but uh, some friends actually had just driven to pick me up that I'd forgotten I'd called before I started really tripping. And so they're on the road waiting for me where I used to sneak out and get picked up from. And uh, so it's funny, I hopped in their, their ride and... Immediately, I calmed down because I realized I was getting out of this hellish sort of, you know, my family was kind of, I mean, they know certain stuff, but just, you know, you um, you start having these these realizations, and there's not really a uh, playground you for it. You have no outlet to share your right. thoughts. Right, it's and kind of a hidden sort of thing. Have, yeah, so I, yeah. as soon as I got in the car, I was like, oh, I'm freed up. I can cruise to their house out in the country. Their pa- family were out of town or something. But I realized I was in this primitive spaceship, and I did kind of get abducted from my friends. But anyway. Yeah, so what what I'm seeing here is, I mean, I've I've spent maybe three or four hours with you out at your place listening to your music and hearing kind of the basis, and, and there's a lot of recurring themes that I see in your music, and uh, a lot of that is is kind of geared towards the slavery and how there's, there's mass manipulation of the people's minds and then connection to something greater, something beyond our own lifetime or our own uh, monkey bodies or spacesuits, if you will. And um, you you bring a lot of that into your music, which is one thing that I really connected with when I met you outside of Blues on the Green. Because, for one, you, how would you describe the actual type of music that you play? Not not lyrically, but the actual. So we made up all the genres. Um, we're calling it tribal folk, tribal folk, alien blues, psychedelic <laughs> swing, uh, stellar rock and roll, psychotropic gospel. And sci-fi rockabilly. Those are all really, co- really great. Cosmic genres. country as well. Cosmic country. Those are all really great. You just came up with like you know, six new genres that are all like fantastic. <laughs> well, that's what people forget is that all of, everything's made up. You yeah. know, everybody, they, 
you get in these realms of like, oh, I can I can strive to play music in this bracket or I can do this craft in this bracket and yada, yada, yada. And I think what, what people sometimes forget or maybe I've forgotten at times too is that everything's made up. Every concept, every idea, everything you see around you. I mean, there are certain spiritual or fundamental truths that we right, tap into. Right. And that's where I don't even really attribute it to myself. I just try to be a transceiver or a conduit for life force to work through me. And, and when you align with that energy, um, you know, it, it, the, the way is paved. Yeah. But the thing is that everything, most concepts are someone made things up. Religion, it's in a certain bracket. It's someone's perspective. It's someone's take on it. And usually it's also f to manipulate people and keep people, you know, in a certain, uh, it's all about control. But the thing is that, um, you know, making up the genres, every genre is made up, you know. People designed instruments, and I think obviously there's some divine intervention. Um, but yeah, uh, we made up the genres, or I made up the genres, or the band helped make up the genres because it basically is um, it's all made up. So right now you're playing a guitar, but a lot of times you'll be playing a what do you what did you call it? It's like a banjo and a guitar. They call it a banjitar or a okay. gitjo. It's basically a, <laughs> a um, six string banjo. I play p five string banjo as well, but not as fluently as guitar. So I like the twang, something mm -hmm. about the banjo. Yeah, right I When I got a banjo, I, I'd sit on a front porch out in East Texas and yep. start picking it. And at the time, I, I've since then ceased drinking alcohol because I believe it's slave syrup. Anything the government endorses is not for your benefit. You know, it's like every Friday, it's not like, hey, go out and take some mushrooms. They don't have billboards like, oh, eat some shrooms and, you know, blah, blah, blah this weekend because it, it's not about enlightening people. They keep that knowledge suppressed and hidden. And so, uh, you know, I just realized that the, the reason the government endorses alcohol is because it's not good for you and it keeps your consciousness blocked off and keeps people enslaved. Though um, I used to drink, and it was, you know, the medicine at the time, I, I did whatever I had to do to kind of cope with where I was living, but I would get a big glass of whiskey and sit on the porch and that's something about that twang. I would, uh, I would, the songs would just kind of write themselves. Yeah, man, I totally hear you. And I, I agree on a lot of levels. I mean, there's a lot of money involved, obviously, but... I have found alcohol to be very limiting as I've grown in my spiritual practices and started to meditate more and become connected to a higher self um, and engaging with different groups of people that are very consciously aware. I've, I've really started to feel alcohol holding me back a lot of times, even just one or two beers. The, the ability to connect genuinely can sometimes be... I don't know. It just gets like it's like a little foggier. It's not like it's well, sharp. It, it cuts down. You know, I think literally what it's doing is um, it shuts down your higher functioning realms of your brain. And so literally piece by piece, it de-evolves you. Which I mean, I'm not knocking it if people drink and yada yada yada. It's a choice. I, and I it's enjoyed it for it's years. It's temporary. It's not like it's you know you it, do it and it's over. Yeah. It it just it it shuts down your brain, and then you realize that this world we live in. It is geared with bright colors, and it basically takes advantage of people in that yep. state too. It's like, okay, give the so the slaves or the free people, whatever you want to call it, but they um, give the working people the cogs in the machine. Give them just an, enough little tickets to go to their job, and then afterwards it's like, oh, you know, now you want to have fun because you worked all that job, so you might as well enjoy yourself. And then it's like, oh, here's a convenient suicide machine, a bar, or things of that sort. And here is basically an, I don't know, man, I shouldn't knock it because to each their own. It right. just, it seems like society is like, here, spend all the money you just made in these places and then, oh, get this salty food and this and that. And it kind of preys upon people in that state. And people don't usually realize that, well, you know, um, time as well, the Monday through Friday sort of mindset. 
uh, I read somewhere, you know, that, that they call it the mystics call it the error in time when we started to be slaves to the watch rather than following higher realms of time. You know, an hour can seem like five minutes or five minutes can seem like an hour. But right. when you're on this thing of like, oh, I got to, you know, got to go to work Monday through Friday and then Friday's the day off. And then everybody gets together on this weird ritual of Saturday and like all this stuff occurs and people have forgotten that basically um how to truly live in natural time you know we're always stressed out even myself currently i'm trying to get booked as much as possible i'm we're basically trying to get some kind of booking representative or you know even um i don't have much bills i've tried to minimalize everything but i haven't gotten to the point yet where i can cease working altogether and just do my what work that i'm supposed to be here doing on a cosmic level in my opinion which is playing music but i still have to clock into a job currently and it just seems like uh I don't know, man. It stressing about oh, it, they, 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 it's just a. There's some quote of a song that it's just a way to st- steal tomorrow, and you know, you, you you get home from it, and then you gotta wake up and do the thing again, and it just. Uh, anyway, man, I'm losing my. I'm, losing my I'm with you 100. percent No, I mean you you have a very active mind, and you're engaging a lot of very important concepts, and uh, you know I really appreciate you being here, and Thank I, you, en- I enjoy this kind of conversation because. It's not often you really get to go deep on some of this stuff, but one thing I connected with was uh, you, you said natural time, the idea of natural time. And so I experienced that for the first time when I, I kind of grew up in the country, and so I was used to just kind of wandering around around in the woods and not really sticking to any type of schedule. And, and when you start to go, uh, well, for me it was in college and high school, but you start to get into a routine and a rhythm and you're operating on the clocks of everyone else, of the system that you're kind of playing a part in. Right. And uh, it was the first time that I really experienced it from a... Uh, from a perspective where I could compare it back um, was when I went to Hawaii for a month um, to visit someone and I didn't look at the watch. I didn't look at the phone. Phone was off the whole time. And it was this weird thing where, especially in Hawaii, the weather doesn't really change at all. And so you just, it's just like time didn't exist out there. It It was no longer... Yeah. I lived in Nederland and they called it Ned time. Or, you know, before recently I'm on probation currently. So, um before that I didn't have to have a job and I could live more freely and live kind of a um I, sh- I strive for, towards sovereignty and freedom. You do a great job. You're one of the few people that actually practices what they preach. One of the very few people I meet that is really still integrated in society trying to do something through their actions, which in your case is music. Uh, I appreciate that, brother. Um, two two points. Um, one before I forget. So yeah, the natural time. When I was a kid, I'd go into the woods and talk to nature, and that's why I would every mor- every morning in kindergarten cry when they would take me to this place and beat the shit out of me because it seems like it's something that was kind of formulated maybe with Nazi Germany or something of that sort. I don't know per-, per se, but I know the schooling system even is rigid. It's to break a child. They break you out of your creative mind. They don't want you wandering around the room and, and experiencing. They want you to sit there and be still. They'd beat the shit out of me for for moving. Quit moving. Quit singing. Quit being a human because they want you know, obedient workers. but And then the other thing is the term that I heard was bodhisattva. Um, basically, the the interpretation of friends, a friend said that I, I reminded him of a bodhisattva, and they said that it was because, you know, it's someone that finds um, sort of some sort of enlightenment, and rather than just going to the top of the mountain and watching the grass grow and kind of cutting yourself off from society, it's basically someone that realizes they're trying to get everybody on the boat, and they're kind of the last person to get on the boat because they're trying to make sure. So basically that everybody gets on the boat. So basically... 
when I realized that some of the stuff that I was aware of was maybe not something that everybody, that people might think about, some people can articulate, or that some people don't think about, I realized that it was, I had a niche for, for reminding people. I just consider myself a reminder. And I strive, and I, I, the only prayer I have is to think less of my individualized incarnation and instead that my life may benefit many at any cost. You know, if I'm killed for the things I do, because that was the thing about that LSD trip at 15, I thought maybe I, my job was to rock the boat to such a degree that one day I'd be silenced for it, but it would be an honor. And, um, you know, I don't know if that was just the willingness to do so that sent me on this path or if it will actually come to pass. I had a, um, a dream one time that I was sitting on. It was in jail. I've been incarcerated probably 30-something times as well, so that trouble didn't end from kindergarten. But basically, um, yeah, our society doesn't like free thinkers and free movers. Um, I had a dream that I was sitting on these long cathedral steps and I was in the Lotus like I was the day on that electric thing after I was in the dream <laughs> and I, I was you. playing music and I was, it was shaking people because people see that and it somehow it breaks them out of the so-called matrix and I basically um, I had this dream that I'm playing the music and everybody I can see the spark in their eyes it's like waking them all up and the cops immediately roll up and they just start shooting me and as the bullets are tearing through my flesh and tendons and internal bleeding and hemorrhaging, I, and blood's pouring out my mouth, I, 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 I'm sitting there half smiling, and I, I realize that right before I die and wake back up, um, as soon as I start getting shot, all the people that were just, the fire was relit in their eyes or reminded, they all leap up and kind of, it's symbolic, you know, nothing against like actual the officers, I think a lot of times they're unconscious of what they're actually representing, but... Basically, um, peacekeepers is one thing, but, you know, tribesmen, Native Americans, they didn't have to have such things. And basically, as everybody's leaping on these forces, these pol polarity sort of forces, um, the, there's a buzzing in my ear, in my <laughs> kind of like DMT. And I St. Gabriel's Cathedral or something like that is in my mind. And somehow in the dream, I knew I was in New York. I've never been to New York. And I wrote it down in my jail journal. And it's funny, every time I would go to jail, usually I'd end up in the tank sitting in the Lotus with like 12 people around me talking about God. But, um, that's some far out shit, man. Yeah. Last time too, I gave everybody uh, soup for Christmas. I had a big thing of soup cause I had some cash and I walked around to all these hardened people and gave everybody soup and told them Merry Christmas. And they're like, for real. And, um, so as this is ringing the same game, I wrote it down. And then a few months later, I'm renting a house in North Austin and I, I found my jail journal. I'm, I'm writing songs out of the material I wrote down. And, um, yeah, I used to laugh about jail. It was the only time I could catch up with myself to write. But, Seriously, uh, you need that kind of solitude. Yeah, but uh, you know, I don't. I I hope that it doesn't have to be in a jail cell anymore. Well, I'm ideally, it would be self-imposed that you could, you know, just choose. just maximize your time wherever you are, make the best of it, and um, and I looked it up, and it's actually in Brooklyn, New York. There is a cathedral called that, so maybe I need to visit there one day or something. You definitely need to visit there, man. That's and something I wrote down the other day, man. Is uh, make your escape, make your contributions leave a map for the next one. Interesting. Very interesting. And that just kind of came out of the mind somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of these places, I think it all, you know, I think creativity all originates from the same place. We're just a vessel for it. And if you allow it to flow through you, then it's all kind of um, the divine nudging you along. And if you allow yourself to be receptive to it. And, I, you know, I don't know what it is, man. I've always stumbled with this because I know, I, you know, I, we're all equal. I'm no better than anyone but it, maybe it's the willingness to do so because you take on the you take the reins and I feel like maybe I've done this stuff for lifetimes and that basically it's you know um, I've always kind of was born awake but I've been reminded throughout my time and that I, I'm supposed to remind people that we do have a choice and that you are powerful. There was some Tupac interview I watched the other day that before he was killed that was basically stating that um, 
you know, this thing about Illuminati or conspiracy or these Rothschilds, these 22 families that own and operate the world and the central banking systems the Rothschilds own on all these places besides the countries that we're at war with or that are enemies, the boogeyman like North Korea and um, Cuba and these different places. But anyway, um, sure. so these rather than letting these people feel like they have power over you, or there was an, an FBI um, thing, I think maybe it was Jay, Jay or Hoover saying that, this was in the 60s, that they wanted to increase the paranoia to where people would think there was an FBI agent on every bush, you know, and, but I think all that shit is a form of men, mental warfare, psychological warfare. The thing is, what they, the powers that be don't want is to remind everyone that you do have the power. You have enormous power. You can change anything at any moment. This now is all there is. And that basically, rather than being fearful of these people or they have some kind of power that you don't, you know, it, 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 all that stuff is rubbish. That basically you have a um, – the universe is an endless river within you, and it will back you if you allow it to work through you, and that we are powerful beings. And basically that rather than this, you know, some kind of illuminatic boogeyman, I think they hijack terms. I think an illuminated person isn't a negative thing, just like the Nazis used the swastika was an inverted sun symbol that was present throughout most cultures. These symbols are powerful or these terms are powerful and people manipulate them or pervert them for their own meanings. But the thing is, um, I think that what we need to be reminded of is that we can all change, change this at any time. Every time that we basically just put our head down and bow down and let things continue on that we know in ourselves to be unjust and not right, then that just allows the illusion to continue. And basically that if we all start taking the reins back of our power and changing things up simultaneously, that we could affect change and, and the world to be a beautiful new place overnight. That is, you hit the nail on the head and it is... Anytime we bow our heads and allow an unjust action, either coming from ourselves or coming from someone that's treating us that way or an interaction we witness that we're not even a part of, anytime we bow our heads, turn our heads, and just continue to move on as though it didn't happen, that is fueling the fire. It's saying... It's okay. It's okay to be unjust. It's okay to break these rules. Or maybe I'll ch maybe I'll do something about it next time. This time exactly. is all there is. It's right now. You have to do it now. Right. You have to confront those issues and those those really long-standing, you know, problems you've had with really important people in your life and 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 don't let that just sit and fester. You got to bring it up. You can clear that path and move on and that's that's very very important. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's built in with the, the celebrity of things, too, and that it's basically like, oh, these people are on this sort of wavelength, and I'm just a regular old person, so I can't, you know, do these things, or I can't write a song, or I can't paint a picture, or this or this or that. But no, like, you, you are the universe power. experiencing itself. Like, you are the characters of the Bible. Yep. You are the writers of holy text. Yep. You are that person. The universe is ever fresh. So yep. if you take that reign... That, that in your hands and basically realize that just as anything has ever been, anything powerful throughout time or anything that has inspired people throughout time, you have that same creativity, that same power that has influenced every decision in the world, and you can use that for the betterment of our civilization. A hundred percent, and I, it's just that self-empowerment, realizing you are capable of infinity. Whatever it is you can think you can create, and there's no limitations whatsoever. Um, it's just, yeah, we, we don't really live in a place that has taught us that type of empowerment most of the time. And I mean, I hate to just throw, you know, government this and society this, because there are places that aren't experiencing that. There are beautiful places in this world, but they're, they're kind of like coveted and, you know, groups of people that really are the free radical thinkers that have found some peace and groundedness have to be very careful about who's allowed in because it really is kind of a like 
tending to the garden thing. You know, people are poisoned. A lot of minds are poisoned, and they come with a lot of emotional trauma, and everyone needs healing, I myself included, but it, you have to be really careful once you cultivate a divine state of mind or a divine state of being with, I think, um, who you interact with and how you interact with them because it's a really sensitive kind of energy form when you get there. And I mean, some people are so powerful and so strong, like, I don't know, Tony Robbins, for instance, or Oprah Winfrey, or, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh, or so many of these spiritual leaders, they've just cultivated this inner sense of understanding so to the T that it's it's like an unshakable kind of uh, state that they're in. And when people come around, they just pick up on that and start to gravitate into that state. But for someone like myself or anyone that's kind of headed along the path, um, you know, that's not a state that can necessarily be maintained all the time if you're confronted with some really dark evils. Or, or I think you follow what I'm saying. Yeah, it's interesting. Evil spelled backwards is live. And it seems that a lot of things, you know, a lot of it's perspective, not saying that there aren't atrocities that happen on the planet, but yeah. Alan Watts stated, and it's always stuck with me, is, uh, you know, um, bacteria fighting off infection at one level of your body is chaotic, but it's allowing us to have a conversation at this level harmoniously. So I think there's a lot of things in play, like 46 people die on a bus, and it's a tragedy, and, you know, um, a lot of people can understand it, but then... Uh, 46 babies are born simultaneously, that the universe has this yin and yang that every, uh, to quote Terrence McKenna, that everything is perfectly on track. And that's the crazy thing to know, <laughs> but you also have to, be, to do your part. And that if you wake up in this here and now, you realize that you can drive this thing around. Yep. Not only your human suit, but the world around you, you can affect change. It's like inception when you wake up in the dream and everybody turns eyes on you, you know? Mm -hmm. And what you do with that is, you know, they could put you on a cross or, you know, people hail you up as a hero or a villain. But the thing is, we, we, we can make an impact. People can make an impact. You do have power. Got to let that inner, inner consciousness guide you, that inner knowing of what is right and what is wrong. You have to use that as a tool. And the second you stop following your intuition, you're lost. It's funny not to, uh, to just keep quoting people, but to quote Bill Higgs. Um, Knock it out. He, uh, he stated, we all have that voice of reason. And that the problem is yep. in our society, that voice of reason is not being acknowledged. Yep. So people get frustrated because no one is, you know, the news is garbage. It's owned from all these corporations that are ensnaring people's minds and, you know, the banking systems and the oil companies, yep. and pharma, pharma, big pharma and all these things. that are, They have a big business in keeping people enslaved or keeping people kind of just doing how things... You know, the most dangerous... I read a quote the other day, too, that one of the most dangerous states of mind is to think, well, it's always been this way, you know? And my thought with it is even <laughs> if I... so passive. <laughs> even if I die, I would rather make an inkling of change because they say as well, the only people crazy enough to think they can change the world are the only people that ever do. Right. <laughs> it's usually a small group of informed individuals. And one thing I was shown during a DMT experience... I smoked this substance, and all of a sudden, I broke through. I probably had 0.4 in a bowl and just power smoked it as much as possible. And a pipe? all of a sudden, a yeah. Pipe. And all of a sudden, I was like Mario tunneled into this other realm that I'm in this long cathedral, or not cathedral, this long corridor. And there are pulsating, almost Sanskrit would be the closest thing that I could attribute to sure. this living language pulsating out of the walls. And these two beings made it a feminine smoke. Where basically as fast as my brain can ask, ask questions of like, am I dead? What is it? Where am I? They're like answering, no, no, this, but, do, 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 do. like they're basically telepathically answering all these questions, and I'm in this vehicle of perception. Well, it started well actually on a height and level of that too. I looked down, and there was like this energetic vortex in my like gut 
sort of area, and there was an insectoid-looking entity that was like, like basically doing some kind of work with his hands, like shape shifting, and and I thought it was. Um, attacking me or so they freeze me. You know, it was very scary. And uh, later I talked to my friend about it who's privy to such things as well. And he's like, maybe it was healing you. And I think that's what actually was occurring. But I basically, I pulled myself back out of it somehow and I'm in my bedroom and I'm looking out the the wall and it looks like looking through gasoline fumes or something like the trees shape shifting into this other realm that's existing simultaneously at all times and this height thin kind of dimension. And basically, long story short, I'm like, no, I I smoked this for a reason. Go back into it. I went back into this um, experience, and I'm in a different room in this um, ancient temple, and there's these small little steps, catacombs around the walls, and there was all of these beings linked up as one, and in this community, they all speak telepathically to one another, and they all, they basically, they, it seemed like an involved, benevolent sort of race, and they were all aware that I was there, and I was aware that this was real, this was actually occurring in some kind of heightened reality, that we're all actually living in a multi-dimensional realm, and we're in many places at once, but basically... They were allowing me, they're like, oh, this, you know, allow him to watch. And they were, there was some kind of death ceremony happening. And an elder, I was uh, aware of that an elder had passed away. And there's blood being drained out of this kind of golden sarcophagus looking thing. It, was, it wasn't necessarily a sarcophagus. It was like a, a big rectangle golden sort of um, thing. And basically they were, they were explaining to me telepathically that death, and especially in our culture, we've been caged into thinking that death happens once. And if you do bad, you'll burn in a place forever. But basically that death is a continuous process and it's like a birthday celebration. And that basically that that it, they were rejoicing as this spirit was going back into everything that had been. And, and as the spirit goes back into everything that has ever been, it's reminded of all the lifetimes that it's lived and all like, it's basically going back into this blissful state. And they were like guiding it on, but it was like, it was like them celebrating at a birthday party or something. And as I kind of, um, started to flutter back to reality from this, that I saw all the sacred sites of the planet connected in this sort of consciousness grid. And they were showing me that all the, all these um, sacred structures that had been built at these energetic ley lines was actually for this grid of consciousness and that everything is connected and everything is one. And as I kind of went back into my room, all of a sudden I opened my eyes, I'm in my bedroom. I went downstairs and I uh, told my roommates, I was like, I was just in some kind of ancient temple. But um, the thing is, back to the power being in your hands, you know, even if you were silenced or killed for something, the thing is, when you when you realize death is not the end and that it's a birthday celebration and there's nothing to ever be afraid of, then people can't easily control you. Because the main thing is, even if they're like, oh, we'll silence you, well, you realize that'll just be a celebration and I might come back and do this again. Yeah, I think if you can rid the fear of death, you can start to really create from a very special and, uh, and holy place. But that being said... Um, I unfortunately have to go and meet my friend and help him with uh, with some stuff and do another headshot soon. So I just want to say thank you for coming on, man. And we're definitely going to have to get back together. There's clearly a lot of information here that needs to be disseminated. And uh, it's uh, we got the power to do it. So let's do it. Let's schedule another time and, and make this happen again. Thank you very much, brother. It's an honor to be here. Oh, it is an honor to sit here with you, my friend. Who knows what you were before and what you will be after, but I do believe you can make some serious, serious waves of movement with that uh, that, that instrument you're wielding. And um, if you if you would uh, maybe play one more little riff or tune or sure. something before you before we sign this one off. Sure. Cool, yeah, man. I'm gonna continue to let me get that microphone set up. Thank y'all for listening. This song is one I wrote. It's called Torches to the Dawn.
tune, but oh well. We hold the torches to the dawn. Splinter hits the fingers, they never fall. I will strike down a thousand men with a bone of a jaw. With the waves of my hands, the arrows fall. I will be the light that's seen from many miles. The callus on my paws will turn fangs to twigs. I will bring the demons from the shadows to the sun. And these words will be my reason to live. Bullets will never bind me I will know thoughts Before they're thought With the strike of the viper In the heart of the land When you need a friend I'll be here to clear the path When the beasts are near These bodies die We live forever dear If you've got the heavy load Just throw it in my fire Then step back a bit And watch these flames burn brighter Burn brighter I will strike down a vile 
Absolutely. Thank you so much. That was incredible. Thank you, brother. Shine um, like the sun. Let love be your law. Really good stuff. Really good stuff. Uh, thank you for the glasses earlier, the T-shirts. You Certainly. got some merch. Uh, if people want to get in contact with you or book you or, you know, just in general, what's the best way? Telepathictaskforce at gmail.com. Telepathictaskforce at gmail.com. And, and you also, also have a Facebook. Facebook, David Daniel Dennis. The band, David Daniel Dennis and the Howlin' Hearts, and then also DavidDanielDennis.com. Absolutely. That, that, we'll put some of that in the show notes so people will be able to find you. And uh, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, brother. A quick word from our sponsors, and uh, thank you guys for listening. Adios, y'all. If you need a really great image of yourself, a headshot, for personal or professional use, maybe for your business LinkedIn or your Facebook profile, or if you're a creative or artist and just need to represent yourself, maybe on a business card, or for any reason, if you need a great headshot, check out theperfectheadshot.com. They're shooting some of the highest quality imagery here in Austin, Texas. Uh, have an amazing studio where you're going to be able to see your images as they're shot. You'll be able to pick your images before you leave the studio, and a high-resolution copy will be emailed to you within 24 hours. So they have a couple different packages, pricing options, but if you need the best image possible, there's no one shooting images quite on the same level uh, in the Austin area. They can come into your home office or your workspace and shoot your entire staff, or you can come to their studio and book a session anytime. So check them out, theperfectheadshot.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being an artist and taking part in the art of listening.